All right. Well, Happy New Year. Thanks for the Happy New Year back. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. And, you know, maybe, maybe we as a staff and me as a pastor were crazy in deciding to have church on the morning of New Year's Day. But you're crazy, too, for coming. So, amen. That's, that's a good crazy you are. So we're kicking off the new year with a two-week series entitled Knowing God. Of all the things that we can resolve to do and check off our list, there's one thing that's more important that can never totally be checked off and remains more pertinent than anything. Knowing God. Now, the Springs is a part of a larger family of churches and campus ministries globally around the world, a larger family named Every Nation. And this year, starting the 9th all the way through the 13th of this month, we're having a global fast where everyone around the world in our movement is joining together at the same time of the year uh, to seek God, to pray, and to fast. Joel chapter 1 verse 14 says, Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So that's what we're doing. Also, many of our churches are starting the new year uh, and leading into this fast with a sermon series, the same sermon series, Knowing God, going through the book of Psalms uh, to prepare our hearts to know God deeper. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. I'm going to be in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I'll read the entirety of the chapter. So you can pat your back on having read an entire chapter of scripture today. Good job starting your new year right. Well done. Psalm 8. Here we go. To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look upon your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, we thank you for your majesty. Please add a blessing to the reading of your word and help us to be set into a new year with your unchanging brilliance and glory and majesty being the biggest thing that defines and shapes our lives. Amen. 
This psalm here that I just read sings of God's glory and majesty in all the earth. And this is important. You should know that as, as we enter into a time, a special time as a church and globally with our brothers and sisters around the world, as we enter into a time of prayer and fasting and focusing on God, our aim is that a deep and profound knowledge of God and his glory and his goodness would grow in us and rise up in us and that our relationship with him would get better and stronger and our faith would be stronger and more steadfast. That's our hope. And yet here's the challenge because none of this just happens in a vacuum. For us to be filled deeply with the the knowledge of God, we really have to be unfilled with everything else. And we're already so full of so many of the earthly worries and fears and desires that would prevent our being filled with the majestic knowledge of God. I've heard it said before that in order to be filled with God and the knowledge of God and the essence of who God is, to be filled with the living water of God, I've heard it said, you have to first be emptied out of all the impurities in your life. Now imagine this glass here represents all the impurities that we're full of, that we come into the new year full of despite resolving otherwise. Even if it's mostly clean water and it looks to be clean, clear water, think of it. We, we know from science or our favorite, favorite survival shows, right, that even seemingly pure and clear water can contain the deadly microscopic bacteria that renders it completely contaminated and poisonous, essentially. And that's so much like our lives. That even the the good intentions that we have or good resolutions can aim us in a direction that's not necessarily the good, pure water of God. The good things that, that we aim at or any less the fears and the worries causes an impurity that we need to be rendered free of, right? And so here's the, according to the illustration I've heard, if we're full of impurity, what we need more than anything else is to be emptied first of the impurities so that God is able to fill us with his living water. That's the illustration I've heard. But that's not this illustration. (laughs) You see, that's important. And the Bible talks a lot about purity and the living water of God and being emptied so that we could be filled. But the Bible also talks about displacement. God's in the business of emptying And filling, but God's also in the business of displacing our impurities with something a lot better than we're filled with. Now, I'll give you an example or be specific. I believe that in 2017, God wants us to all come as we are to the house of God, to 
to being disciples of Jesus together, to growing with him, to come with our impurities, our fears, our worries, just to come as we are and approach him. And as we behold God and his majesty and we see him as he is, that the weightiness of his glory would displace all of our worries and our fears and our ambitions and systematically, little by little, displace everything that's lesser with something that's weightier and more glorious. And as we celebrate and behold his glory, there just won't be room for anything else that's lesser. Right there. That's displacement. And honestly, this is a lot like what happened in my life. I tried to clean myself up in my life so often. I tried so many things to be a good person, resolved to to try to be better every year growing up, to be a better son, to be a better baseball player, to be a better student, to, to be better with the ladies. And I tried to be a good guy. Look, I even tried religious things to clean myself up a little bit. But all my efforts always left me unfulfilled and every bit as impure until I beheld something much more weighty than anything my own efforts could ever behold. And it was, now I look back on it, I know it was the Holy Spirit drawing me to Jesus, something much deeper than religion uh, or or trying to follow the, the Bible rules. It was the person of Jesus that's revealed in the Bible, the weightiness of his glory and his beauty that just ate all of my earthly ambitions and worries for lunch. And the, the rock-solid faith that was established in me by God began to displace all the other things in me. Now, if you know me enough, you know that, that, that displacement process Uh, God's weightiness coming into me and displacing, making less room for the impurities and worries. You you can know that it's still a process that's happening. But my desire for this year is that we would come as we are and that we would behold God this year and lift up who he is and that in seeing him for who he is, It would make space and things that are lesser, even the good ambitions and resolutions and goals, that those things, there would just be less room for those things. In fact, you should know that in the Old Testament, when the word glory is used, it literally means weightiness or imposing grandeur. So when it says here in Psalm 8, when David says, you have set your glory Above the heavens, literally what that means is God's glory is weightier than all the weighty worries and fears or things that you could be weighed down by. So more than you just need to fix yourself and and resolve to be a little bit more godly, you need to, like me, behold God in a deeper way so that his weightiness, his glory would override all the other things that could plague our souls. God has that imposing nature about him that imposes upon lesser things and purifies us. So what I want to do is I want to briefly run through this psalm a little bit and point out a few other weighty things about God in hopes that we would all, in light of God and a few things that we can learn about him, that we would be retooled in the process. I want to point out a few things that will encourage us 
that maybe don't resolve particular worries or fears that we have, but maybe displaces, displaces them. Maybe doesn't answer questions we have, but gives us something bigger than the questions that we have. So I could, we could do a 10-week series on Psalm 8. I'm just going to try to pull out a few little stones, if you will. And the first stone, the first thing I see in this is, is in Psalm 8 is God's universality. Say that 10 times fast. Universality. God is majestic, but he's universally majestic, meaning that he is great, he is great and majestic among people that know him and among people that do not know him and in places that there aren't a lot of people that know him, he's still great and majestic. His majesty is everywhere. <laughs> And this is really, really important to know. It says at the start and at the end of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name among us. No, it doesn't say that. It says how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now let me explain a little bit why that might have been a little bit Uh, controversial to Jews hearing this when David spoke this. This word that's used, the first time it says, Lord, it says, O Lord. It uses the covenantal name of God, the the name that's translated Yahweh, the, the name that was given to Moses as God was calling out a special people for himself. And God said, I am that I am, that we render transliterate Yahweh, if you've heard that name before. Yahweh, it's the special covenantal name. That's the special name that only the Jews could use for a long time. The covenantal name of God. It says, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord. Now, the second time it says, Lord, it's the word Adonai, which means master, king. So, O Yahweh, our master and king. But then it says, how majestic is your name not just among us who know you, but in all the earth. Meaning his majesty is so great and it's great everywhere. God is universally majestic. Now, if you apply that to your life, if you apply that to when you leave church today and you go on and try to uh, enter into 2017 with the best of your intentions, and you're facing all the strongholds at work and with family, uh, among people that know him and people that don't, that might tend to annoy you a little bit, and you tried your best in 2016 to be patient with these people, right? And, and maybe your thought is, maybe let's try a little harderer. Let's do better than that. You don't have to take God's greatness with you to those seemingly dark places. You need to discover his majesty that's already there and ask God for new eyes to have discernment, to point out what he's already doing. Because look, God is majestic and he's moving and he's sovereignly moving and he is universal. So that means that he is, he is when I say universal, he is universally majestic. He's everywhere. He is already moving in these places and in these people that maybe that you and I might tend to to struggle to have patience with. 
in these places where we're going in 2017 that are difficult and there's some challenges that I'm like, okay, how am I going to handle this situation and go to this place? Look, God is majestic there. And the imperative to you is, can you discover and savor and call forth what's already there and great about God in that place, in that person? Uh, for me, for years, I would go back uh, to visit my family and I would invariably get annoyed with certain political beliefs or whatever uh, and have arguments. And my wife noticed that over the years, I, I kind of became this, to my family, this kind of grumpy conservative political guy. And I don't want to be that guy. Who wants to be that guy, right? And I asked God this year and I asked my growth group to pray for me Guys, pray that I would be given eyes to see what God's already doing in them and a prophetic boldness to call out God's greatness in that area. And when I went home with my family this year, it was like a whole new thing. I was able to prophetically declare things over my family members and they didn't even know I was prophesying. That was the great thing. I was able to encourage them. Hey, here's what I love about you. Here's what God loves about you. And I could see God's majesty because look, He's my God. And some of my family members don't know him yet. And some of the people that you're working with don't yet know him. But listen, even though he's your Lord, his majesty is majestic. And his name is majestic everywhere. And the imperative on us is to ask God for the eyes and the prophetic edge to see his majesty. Now, the second... Stone I see in here in Psalm 8 is God's brilliance. God's brilliance. It says here, verse 3, when I look at your heavens. Now, there's a message in that because what's already before us, we have to actually look at, right? We have to get our eyes off of our devices or whatever, but that's another message. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place. The works of God's fingers, his majesty, great and small, his brilliance. I have a challenge for everyone in here. Go on YouTube and, and, and type in northern lights. Or, or, or go Google basic astronomy. And you'll see things, you'll see that God is more brilliant and bright and, and amazing. And, and the universe and what God has made is so much bigger. And in comparison, maybe my problems are, are, are less big than I thought. Think about our star, the sun. It's so bright and so massive that planets, huge planets orbit around it. The pole the brightness, and, and our planet, because of the brilliance of the sun, is given the sustenance and, and the light that produces life. That's big. And then think about the rest of the stars. I read Genesis 1 this morning. I'm on a, a, a new plan to read the Bible again in a year. I read Genesis 1, and it's amazing. It was like an afterthought, and the stars. You know, as kind of like an afterthought, after making the sun and the moon and the, and the, and the earth, God just made all the stars, which is like infinitely big and massive and, you know, just I'll do that on Tuesday. That's what God does. 
God is so massive and great. And this sun, our sun, and how we orbit around it, think about that. Let that be a metaphor for your life. That God's brilliance and greatness should cause ourselves, our beings, our plans, our resolutions to orbit around his brilliance, his brightness, his massiveness, his majesty. But too often we have it backwards. Too often, if you're like me, and I think you are, our, our issues, our problems, our concerns tend to be the center of, of our concerns in, in our lives, right? And, and we tend to allow other things to orbit around that, other relationships to orbit around whether or not this person's concerned with my concerns. And, and even God, we, we, you know, we get a little bit of church and a little Bible to encourage our, our, our little orbit of our problems. And what's the Bible for? Well, it's to speak to my issues. No, let's flip the script back to the way it should be. We, our, our issues, our impurities, uh, uh, coming as we are, I pray that we could orbit around the brilliance of God and it would be more weighty than all of our worries so that we would, would, would actually fall in step to God's concerns. And you would see that your concerns would be burned up in the process. God is brilliant. Are there, check this out too. The moon and the stars, which you have set in place, David says about God. Think about that. If, if God can set the moon and the stars in place, think about the things that you need set in place in your life. Have you resolved to set a few things right in your life? That's good. You should do that. God has given you a certain amount of autonomy and dominion and responsibility to set some things in place, but don't try to set things in place in your life that God has already said, I want to set that in place. I need that not set in place by you. I need that surrendered to me. Think about the things that that you might want to set in place, but instead you just need to surrender to God and say, God, have your way with this thing, this person. God's good at setting things in order and in place. We're not often as good at surrendering those things to God to allow him. But here's my, here's my prayer, is that we would enter into a new year and we would allow the majestic, brilliant hand of God to speak louder than our best efforts and that we would enter into new year with the rhythm of surrendering to God and watching him set things in place that we could have never set in place on our own with the best of human discipline. Can you enter into a new year trusting in the brilliant, majestic God who can set things in place? If he can do it with the stars and the moon, he can do it with us and our very real concerns. Amen? Now, this, uh, when, I, when I first became a Christian and I beheld Jesus and man, this guy's, this, this person is more adventurous, more amazing, more of an adrenaline rush than I get from any sin. And th- he's amazing. And my life started to revolve around his amazingness. And there were certain things that started to displace in light of that. And as I beheld Jesus, the, the, the biggest thing that first I needed God to to displace my life was this battle with seeing girls wrongly. Lust. Now here's what I didn't need. 
when I was 16 years old, 15 years old. I didn't need a book, 10 ways to start seeing girls differently. I didn't need a how-to. I didn't need just the basics on how to see other people right. You know what I needed? I needed to see something more glorious, more brilliant, more bright. I needed to behold the glory of Jesus in a new way in his working among other people so that in light of him, I could see other people. I needed my habits to orbit around the brilliance, the brightness, the majesty, the glory of God. And that's what I need today. And that's what you need today. I'm going to be honest with you. I've struggled this week preparing uh, a message about knowing God because there's so much in me still that more than I, in my flesh, the more, more than I want to just know God, I kind of want to just accomplish some goals at work. And, and it's got to be important, right? Because my work is, is religious stuff, right? So, I mean, I'm doing God's work here. It's way less important than knowing God. I want to get some goals checked off my list. I don't want to, to lay down my life and, and allow him to define me anew and energize me anew. I, 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 in my flesh, I need to, to lay down my desire and to, to come again and behold the glory and the beauty of God and allow my concerns and worries and goals to be washed in his light. And so do you. And so here's the means of grace that we're all entering into to see that happen. We're going to go into a, a week of fasting and prayer. It starts the 9th, it goes all the way through the 13th. So we have over a week to prepare for this moment. And my request to you is don't just kind of let it happen. That's, it's something that kind of everyone else is doing and you'll kind of do something, you know, that doesn't really interrupt the regular flow of your life. Please, let God interrupt the regular flow of your life. Fasting is trading earthly things for supernatural things. Please allow the trade-off to be significant. If you need to get on our email list so that you can communicate with us and not miss out on any of the prayer services we're doing uh, or the, the Friday night uh, gathering we're going to have on Friday the 13th and praise Jesus and declare his grandeur over all of our years. Whatever it takes for you to not miss out, please join with us and enter into this season. Don't just stop eating for a week. Because look, not eating is not fasting. That's called starving yourself. Fasting requires you to focus so much on prayer and on the glory of God's word and on knowing him through his word that it displaces the other things. And you're literally trading food or whatever you're fasting that week if, if, if your health does not, uh, if your health inhibits you from actually fasting food. It's trading whatever that earthly thing is for something more glorious, more weighty. And so my, my question to you is, is, can you behold the brilliance of God and enter into this and not miss out on any of it? That's my challenge to you. The third stone I see here, third weighty thing in this psalm is intimacy. I'm going to go a little faster through these, but this is amazing that God can be so great and so far and high above humanity and yet so intimately connected and involved with the workings of man. 
How majestic is your name? You've set your glory above the heavens. Verse two, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength or praise attributed strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look upon your heavens, it seems like he's, he's going in and out of the amazing unsearchable things and yet the mystery of how it's still, he's still regarding humanity and the lowest of humanity. When I look upon your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Listen, God's greatness does not imply God's remoteness or God's far-offness. In fact, God's greatness is shown in how we can pay attention to the details, the smallest details. If you lose your keys, you can pray, God, you know where my keys are. And he'll help you find your keys, I swear. Try it out. It's happened all over. God is so great, and his greatness is even revealed in how he upholds and restores the dignity of human beings. Babies. He's ordained his praise. God is so high and lifted up, and yet it seems like David is, is just amazed and overwhelmed by the mystery of how he's so high and majestic and brilliant and great, and yet so intimately connected to the affairs of man, mindful of man, caring for man. God is mindful of you. He's mindful of your concerns. Even when you're not really mindful of your own issues, right? I'm not super mindful of all the things that I have to set in order in my life, but God is. He's mindful of man. He is caring. And what's cool about God is he can be mindful of everyone and everything all at once. He's a way better multitasker even than women. God is mindful of your concerns in mind. Isn't that amazing? God knows what you're going through. Some of you in here, 2016, let's, let's not pretend any, any other way. It was just a really difficult year. And even though there's kind of some, some hope, okay, it's a new year, you still don't have answers for why maybe you went through certain things that you went through. But God knows. God is mindful of you. God is caring of you. He's caring for you. Even if you don't know why you went through what you went through, what's better than knowing that is knowing the one who knows. You can intimately know the one who knows. And what's cool about knowing God, who is, who is majestic everywhere, universally majestic, he's brilliant and bright, he's intimately connected to what we do. We can know him who is all those things, and yet Jesus also knows sorrow. He knows the depth of our humanity. He knows betrayal. So when you can know the one who knows your pain, you can know that he's been intimately acquainted with the most precious and difficult uh, issues of humanity. So like the prophet Hosea says, let us therefore press on to know him. And if God is intimately acquainted with man, my question is to you is, will you 
let him, we open yourself up to letting him intimately connect with you, especially in these next several weeks as we press in through prayer and fasting. Will you let it get intimate with him? Will you let him press into those areas where maybe in previous years it was kind of off limits to talk about in growth groups? It, it, was, it was too hurtful to, to talk about those things. Will you let God allow his glory to fill that place and to wash you clean of the impurities? Will you let him? One last thing that I see in Psalm 8, and that is the stone of sovereignty. This is God's sovereignty that amazes me. And I, when I've read this several times, I, I didn't see it until, uh, until a, a commentator, whoever the writer of Hebrews, helped me see this. So I'm going I'm to read verse 6 for you. And I'm going to kind of take you on the path of kind of what, what I was seeing. Verse 6 says, you've given him, talking about man, mankind, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Verse 6 says. Well, this is confusing because is mankind really sovereign like this? Are all things under mankind's feet? I mean, in one sense, yeah, in all the ways that we've progressed technologically and in all the things that we've spread out on the earth, it would seem, yeah, like, okay, like we have dominion over the earth. But in another sense, it feels like not so much, right? I mean, we're heating up the globe Onto Armageddon. And I don't, I, I don't know hardly anyone who really even has dominion over themselves, myself included, uh, any less the whole earth. So when it says you've given him dominion and you've put everything under man's feet, it, it makes me ask, well, have things stayed that way? I mean, are things under our feet? Are we on top of things? I mean, I'm hardly on top of things in my own life. So, I'm led to think it can't mean that man is sovereign and has dominion over things because God has dominion over things. So, so clearly this is not saying man has dominion and sovereignty or is it? Because Hebrews, which commentates on Psalm 8, it literally quotes Psalm 8 and then goes on to, to basically give the, the idea of what it means when it says man has sovereignty and dominion. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews would say, yeah, man has sovereignty. But you'll see that Hebrews is talking about one man in particular. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, and then we'll read several verses. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified elsewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, He's talking about Jesus. He left nothing outside his control. That's sovereignty. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little, little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because, listen, because of the suffering and death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, all of us, all have one source. This is amazing. So yeah, technically everything is sovereignly under man's feet because under, everything is under the control of, of one man. Jesus is sovereign even over death because of the gospel. And because of that, we can have life in him. He lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead so that his sovereignty, his control, his dominion could be transferred to us and we could have life in him, his reign in us, his majesty revealed in how he forgives, restores, and grows us. And out of the mouths of babies and infants, he is ordaining his praise because of what he's done for us. So yes, everything is under Jesus' feet, under his control. He's sovereign. He's on top of everything. But the question is, is he in you? If you don't yet know Jesus, if you've never received Jesus into your heart and been made new by him, even as we're entering into communion before we close the service, you can, as an act of faith, confess your sin. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. I receive this life. I want to be made new by you. Literally, as an act of faith, you can surrender to God. Now, I'm going to advise you that it's a team sport, this faith thing. And so maybe talk to someone before you get out of here that, hey, I just surrendered my life to Jesus for the first time. But all of us, I want us to enter into a a moment where we receive communion in a new way. I'm going to ask everyone to stand to our feet as we prepare for communion. Before we, we're going to have this one last song. And before we come up and receive the elements of communion, I want you to have a moment first where you think about things in your life that need to be displaced before you receive the body and blood of Jesus. What are focuses, worries, fears? What's at least one thing in your life that you need to confess to God and say, I'm sinning in this. God, may this be purified as I receive you. And remember, you can confess that sin and then come and receive the body and blood of Jesus, the person of Jesus displacing the impurities. Remember, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He's the cornerstone that was rejected by the builders. And if we receive him, his glory displaces and overrides 
all those other things. So before you come up and as we, as we enter into this last song, you can come at your own leisure, come up and receive the elements and take it back to your seat and receive it under your own time. But before you do, take a moment to confess your sin, to release your worries to Jesus.